0: The following podcast is a glimpse into the life of Ecclesia Houston. We pray it is a blessing as you seek to follow Jesus the Liberating King and live in his kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven.
1: One, two, one, two, three, four. I need the every hour
2: that goes to Firefly. Hi, Noel. Today we will sing together. We'll hear from Pastor Chris and Pastor Sean before we get started. Let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, I ask for the best, for the people who are watching and the people who are not, to have a wonderful Sunday. I ask for the children who are starting school presently and the children who are starting school online to have a wonderful school year and to be safe. I ask for all of these people to have a wonderful week this week. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Have a wonderful Sunday.
3: utter despair arnesty
4: Good morning, Ecclesia. We are John and Ruth Hassan, and along with our family, we are Ecclesians from afar. After leaving Houston five years ago, we returned to the UK, and we're now living back in my home in Northern Ireland. And it's from our home church here in Belfast that we're joining you this morning.
5: So Ecclesia, as we continue in worship, we come now to a time of offering. In this season, we remain committed to the work God has called us to, locally
3: and around the world. As we each consider our part in that offering, please speak this prayer along with us.
4: Almighty God, you created everything in the heavens above and in the earth below. You survey all your creation and you savour its beauty and appreciate its goodness. To you, we lift up the best we have to offer from our time, talents, and resources. We give freely from what we have received from your hand. We give joyfully with the gratitude of a rescued people. We give generously with the excitement of children at play. We join with your mission and with your kingdom. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.
5: Nicholas C, this is Pastor Chris, and I'm thrilled to update you on a few things, and primarily this week, invite you. We're continuing to do all the things God's called us to do. Uh, our church, can you believe it, in Houston, Texas, we get to feed a 1,000 people a day at the Venezuela border. Our brothers and sisters there are so thrilled and excited. Uh, for the ways that they get to serve people in desperate need we're continuing to work with restaurants to feed our homeless brothers and sisters up and down the street and this week i want to invite you uh, to be a part of caring for middle school students you remember what it was like to be a middle school student anybody remember feeling like you didn't have the right clothes or can you imagine starting middle school without basic hygiene like deodorant we're going to work with memorial area ministries and potentially several others this week because I'm gonna ask you to give and to give significantly. Last year, our Westside campus made it a goal to support 250 kids with the basic needs and school supplies and uniforms that they needed. Um, wouldn't you know it, our people on the West Side stepped up and uh, instead of $12,000, they came up with 25,000. We helped 500 kids. Now those 500 kids got to go to Walmart or any given store with a voucher where their parents could be the heroes. The parents could go buy them the uniform that they need and uh, get them what they need. You can imagine there are more kids than ever that their parents don't have the resources. Ecclesia, I don't know what the number is. I'd love for us to raise $100,000, work with HISD and Spring Branch and all these middle schools. And I just wanna invite you to say, what could we do to give today? You can send a text to 84321. And this week, we're gonna focus all of our efforts. We're gonna give. Some of you are capable of making a large gift. Maybe you remember what it was like to be a seventh grader. I remember sitting in a lunchroom and thinking everybody was looking at me, what I was wearing, what I wasn't wearing, uh, what they think about me. Was I awkward? And, uh, and at that place, right, we kind of begin to create a self-image. And the truth is, you're, you're not much different than a seventh grader. You hide it better, but you care about what people think. I want to invite you Ecclesia this week first to be proactive and caring for these young kids they need it in this season. We're all, right, about up to here. Uh, I sat with a family this week uh, that I thought, this is just too much. Many of us have been taught, the scriptures tell us, right, God won't give us more than we can handle. This is part of what I'm gonna preach to you about next week, so don't get too far ahead of me. But I wonder, right, some of us are at the place, you're like, no, I'm already past what I could handle, God. Like, if that's true, then why is the world in this state? Why is my family in this state? And I sat with this family, and you don't need all the details, I'm just gonna ask you to pray for them. And I just thought this is too much. Um, I was grateful that because I've already been sick and had the virus and CDC says I have immunity for at least three months and I'm going to maximize that, that I could be in their home and give them a hug because I'm telling you this family needed a hug. Right. And uh, maybe you're at the place you're like, I need a hug. I need more than a hug. I've had enough. Next week, I want you to tune in and in our service, I'm going to talk to you about what's, what's that biblical truth and how do we lean into that? And what does it mean when we feel like, I, I've, I've had more than I can take and I'm not sure where to go from there. I want to remind you this week that how you see yourself, much like how a seventh grader sees themselves, is not how God sees you. Now, many of us think, Right? We think about our day and whether we're doing well today. And I was, I, I talk nice to my kids and I've kind of done the right thing in a few areas. And I gave today. And so God's looking at me and he's really thinking, hey, I'm, I'm doing pretty great. And other days, I'm not doing so good. And God's looking at me and think, oh, he's not doing so good. She's not doing so good. And God, God, literally, we begin to think God looks at us the way that we look at us. Right? Can you imagine like God's God and we're us? Like God doesn't see you the way that you see you. I was recently on a beautiful little vacation. Many of you know, it was one of those times I feel like I'd had enough. My kids and I got to be with my siblings and their kids and, and my dog, Angel, my beloved dog, we found out was going to be probably pretty sick. And we took Angel on this vacation. Uh, We got time on the beach together. It was beautiful. Uh, We came back and gratefully the day before we put her down, I had one of my favorite pastoral assignments to do a wedding. In fact, on that day, I got to do two weddings. And I was probably um, thinking in much of the mindset that some of you are thinking, I'm thinking, God's thinking about me like I think about me. How would I do? Am I performing well? Because most of our life, right, it's about how you perform. If you perform well, life goes well. If you don't perform well, it doesn't go well. Maybe it's the same in relationships. You don't have a lot of relationships that feel like it's really, truly unconditional love. You're loved if you perform in those relationships. And I was reminded when I did those weddings, right? I, I love to do weddings. Um, now if you're at Ecclesia, you're like, I know he loves to do weddings because Ecclesians tend to have great food in an open bar. And that is also true. We tend to have that, but the real reason I love to do weddings is not because of the great food. I love the party and the celebration. I love all of it, but you know what I love is when I do a wedding, I got the best seat in the house. I get to stand next to the groom. When the bride enters, the doors open and she starts to walk towards her new husband. And my favorite thing is just to look over at him. right? and to catch that glimpse in his eye. This is what you need to know today, Ecclesia. That's how God sees you. Ephesians five tells us that when God sees us, that he sees his unblemished, unstained, and perfect bride. Now, most of you are thinking like, I'm not unblemished or unstained or perfect. Well, you are through Christ. And as you accept Christ's love, you are unblemished, you are unstained, you are perfect. And God looks at you today and he does not see your performance. He sees the bride that he loves. I'm going to put up a couple of photos now of these two brides that I did their wedding on that day, and you'll get a sense, right? I mean, these husbands, right? They're thrilled. They're fired up, right? I mean, you can see it in their eyes. They're really fired up because God's given them a beautiful bride. And this is what I want you to know today. No matter how you've performed, when God looks at you today, he sees His unblemished, perfect bride. Is it possible that God loves you way more than you ever imagined? That's part of what we're going to talk about next week. It's part of what Sean's going to pick up on today and talk about our mission and our purpose and what we're called to do and who we're called to be in this world. And uh, we find fulfillment and joy in that, but God doesn't love us based on that performance. So I'm grateful that Sean's going to share with us. I'm grateful for God's many blessings. Let me pray for Sean and pray for you. Lord God, I thank you for my brothers and sisters. I thank you for the chance that we have even now to text and give to our church and to participate in helping some middle school kids that are struggling see themselves a little bit differently, to have a couple of uniforms so they're not wearing a dirty uniform to school, praying and believing that soon they'll be back in their schools and safe and well. God, we ask that as we look at our own lives, as we deal with our own struggles, that we would do it from a place of truth, that we would know that when you look at us, you see us as perfect and unblemished, that your love for us would sustain us when life gets really hard. And for many of us right now, we're like, yeah, now's that time, life is really hard. And so God, we want to lean in and rely on that perfect and beautiful love. Thank you for the word that Sean will share with us today. Thank you for worship and communion and the opportunity to connect with believers all across the globe. We pray today for the churches that we are assisting and helping in Beirut. Churches literally devastated, their buildings devastated, people hungry. We're grateful as a church that we can send resources, both for food, and we pray in the near future to restore buildings and churches uh, that can minister to people in a beautiful and remarkable part of the world. We thank you for your many blessings, Lord, and we pray all of this together, and we pray it in your name. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, we pray, amen. Hello Ecclesia, it's great to be with
0: you. And for all of you who are far away, who have joined us during this time where we've had online worship, we're so grateful to be able to be with you and to minister to you. Wasn't it so great to have Ruth and John and their family begin us this morning? Dear Ecclesians who are living abroad. This has just been a crazy time. This is just gonna be a crazy time for a long time, but it does provide us with some new opportunities like welcoming, embracing some of our family who are in different places. I know our our house has been really weird. There are some things that have happened that wouldn't have happened any other time. I really believe that. We've had some space that we've not had before. I'm one of those people. I've had all of these months at home. So you know what I did? I wrote two books. Did you write two books while you've been at home? It's been fabulous, but we've also had space to do some things that we haven't had time for. My wife, Rochelle, has had uh, this nagging pain in her right arm. As a matter of fact, this last Christmas Eve, she had to go to the emergency room the morning of Christmas Eve, and it was so bad, so painful, that she was in a sling. She only wore it for a day because she's that kind of person, and my family was coming over. She wanted to make a good impression, but she finally had the surgery, and so this last week, she's just been sitting around the house in this enormous sling, and that means that me and our girls have had to do everything, like all of the cleaning, all of the cooking, all of the managing, so many of the things that Rochelle manages for us, um, all of the things that she does so well and cares so much about, and with everything going on, I can tell you it's not been the lack of sleep because she has the sleep sitting up, It's not been um, not being able to take care of the little things that happen in a family in a home that just somebody has to do. What's frustrated her the most is that she hadn't been able to do anything that she cares about. Her work, her students, school is starting soon. And she just mentioned the other day, like, I just... Don't feel like I have very much of a purpose right now. You're designed, I'm designed, not just in these kinds of times, but all the time. I'd have a deep and meaningful purpose. So a couple of years ago, I read a book by a woman named Bronnie Ware, and her book is called The Top Five Regrets of the Dying. And and so they interviewed all of these people who were in their last days, and these are the things that they came up with looking back over the grand sweep of their lives that they regretted the most. And, And number five was that I wish I had let myself be happier just to allow that to be and to enjoy it while it was happening. Number four, I wish I had stayed in touch with old friends. And especially before the advent of things like Facebook and Twitter and people move away or folks you went to high school or college with, when they go away or you move away, it's just hard to stay in touch. Number three, I wish I had the courage to express my feelings. Some of us are better at that than others. I'm one of those people um, who actually never really know what I'm feeling, so it's really hard to express. Number two, I wish I hadn't worked so hard. And she says that that was experienced a lot by men who got to the end of their lives and they had missed so much that was happening with their children, with their families. They just put in too many hours. And the number one regret of the dying, she says, I wish I had the courage to live a life true to myself. So Ecclesia, what I want to do is just spend a few minutes talking to you about living a life that's true to yourself, true to your purpose. So last week, Chris talked about this idea that sin is oftentimes not the thing that we did, but the thing that we didn't do. And for many of us, the thing that we live our lives not doing is being true to ourselves. And I just wanna think through the idea of like, what, what is it that you're designed to do? What were you created to do when when God shaped and formed you and gave you the life that you had with all of its beauty, with all of its tragedy? What were you made for? And that's a hard question to get at because to actually understand that question means asking a deeper question that a lot of us have been taught and trained just not to ask. So a couple of years ago, I was in Chattanooga, Tennessee, doing some spiritual formation training um, with a department of a nonprofit there. And so they had rented this really cool pub and we were spending the whole day there upstairs. You remember the times when you could actually go and be with people in a certain place? And so we're all sitting around upstairs and I begin the day and I said, what I want to get after today is one question. And they were thinking it was going to be something really deep and spiritual, something that's just going to shake the roof off the place. And then I asked my question a simple one. What do you want? And they were dumbfounded. They were stuck. What do you want out of life? What do you want your legacy to be? What is it? If you were to be unvarnished, what is it that you want? Because the answer to that question is the signal to so much about who God created you to be and what you're designed to do and how you should spend your time and your energy because you cannot live a life in alignment with your purpose if you're disconnected from the thing that you want. And the, the trouble, the reason we have trouble with that question is because many of the things that we think we want aren't really our deepest desires. So one of the great blessings of my life in the last decade is that I've been able to travel the country, travel the world, and speak to different people in places everywhere. And one of the cities that for some reason just absolutely loves me is Tulsa, Oklahoma, because there's no place as happening as Tulsa, Oklahoma. And in Tulsa, which I have been to dozens of times, there is a hotel downtown. And the first time that I was there, um, they put me in this hotel um, on the ninth floor and I came back the next year and I was on the ninth floor again. And the beautiful thing, the powerful thing about this hotel is when you check in, they give everyone who checks in one of my absolute favorite things in the world, chocolate chip cookies. I love chocolate chip cookies. I don't eat them very often because I love them so much. But if you're on the ninth floor, the executive floor, there's a room that they have up there where you can go anytime, day or night and get chocolate chip cookies. And so in Houston, one of the things that has become very important to me during our COVID quarantine is Tiff's treats because they will bring to my house chocolate chip cookies. And that's very dangerous because there is a rule that if you have chocolate chip cookies, you have to eat chocolate chip cookies. And so I have to be very disciplined about not opening up my phone and pulling up the Tiff's Treats app and sending myself chocolate chip cookies. Whenever I do that, I decide, instead of sending myself chocolate chip cookies, that I'll send someone else chocolate chip cookies. And that's how I discipline myself. Because as much as I desire, as much as I want chocolate chip cookies, my deepest desire is to be healthy. And so chocolate chip cookies, as much as I like them, I can't have them all the time. I ordered these because they say get well, and therefore my wife who is at home in pain, but she will not eat any of these cookies because they will be gone before I get home. But it's not my deepest desire, so I have to buy them and share them because my deepest desire is to be healthy and whole. And that's the way many of us are. We settle for surface desires. And we don't ask the question, what's our deepest desire? If I were to sit down with some of us and say like, what do you want? People might answer, man, I just want to have a life where I just play golf all day, or um, I just want to travel. Right now, some of us just say, I just want to leave the house. But is that your deepest desire? Like when you strip all of that away, what do you really want out of life? Who do you really want to be? And so there's a story in John 5, where Jesus and his disciples are on their way to a party in Jerusalem and they get stuck because there's a man sitting beside a pool who wants to be healed. And this is how John tells that story. Says, so sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. Now there is in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate, a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda and which is surrounded by five cover- covered co- colonnades. Here, a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, Jesus asked him, do you want to get well? Well, if you've ever read that story, then you know what's coming next. Like, what What a ridiculous question. Like, no, Jesus, I don't want to get well. I've just been hanging out next to this pool hoping that the waters get stirred and I can get in and I can be made well. I wouldn't be laying here an invalid all of this time. This man's been here for 38 years. Shouldn't that signal to Jesus? Shouldn't Jesus know that he wants to be well? Well, here's the powerful part of that story. And why the question isn't as silly as it seems on the surface. And once you understand this about God, once you understand what Jesus is doing in the world, it'll reshape the way that you think about your life and your life with Jesus. Your desires, your wishes are not insignificant to God. What you actually want, what you crave is not insignificant. Think about that for a moment. The thing that you want is not inconsequential to Jesus. It matters. Now, I wanna be careful because our desires aren't everything to God. And sometimes God will overrun our desires. And the truth of the matter is like, sometimes the things that we want aren't the things that we should want. Like if you've ever met an abuser, Like the things that they really want out of life, that's not something that they actually should want. This is why the scriptures tell us that that the spirit intercedes for us because sometimes when we're praying, we don't even know what we want. But those wants aren't insignificant. Now, Now, our desires aren't everything to God. And that's often because the things that we desire or the things that we think we desire aren't the things that we should desire. They are what St. Augustine calls um, misdirected loves. It's the reason that the scriptures say the Spirit intercedes for us because sometimes the things that we're praying for, the things that we think we want, aren't the things that we really want or we should want. But they do matter. But you don't get to your right desires by ignoring your wrong desires. We get to our right desires by allowing God to transform our wrong desires. And this is the incredible thing about God that hardly anyone talks about. Have you noticed how non-coercive God is? That God doesn't make us do anything. God didn't make Pharaoh release the Hebrew slaves. God didn't force Jonah to go to Nineveh. God gives us choices. And and sometimes those choices come with negative consequences, but God gives us choices. As Dallas Willard said, God is looking for people who freely choose the right choice. And living in the center of who it is that God created you to be requires knowing what it is that on the deepest level, not the surface level, not the chocolate chip cookie level, but on the deepest level, what it is you want. And so I just wanna give you, Ecclesia some handlebars for starting to think about what it is that you want, some things that you need to know. And the first thing that you need to do to uncover your desire is to pay attention to negative experiences. Just pay attention to negative experiences. So when I was a student, I hated math, and I hated math a lot. And I had several math teachers over the course of my education who knew that I hated math and they were not at all interested in me loving it. But I also had this other part of me that was really into space and space exploration. And I've read so many books about the early um, Mercury and Apollo programs. Like I love all of that stuff. And if I had been wired differently, if I'd been a different person, I would have loved to go to work for NASA. But you know what? I hate math. And I'm bad at it. And I had all those teachers who would call you up to the board so you could show your work on the board in front of the class so that all of your classmates would also know that you were bad at math. Pay attention to those negative experiences. You know, that's not where God is guiding me. That's not how I'm wired. That's not how I'm made. Negative experiences give you a taste of what it is that you don't want which clears the field for discovering what you do want. Another thing that helps us get underneath what we want is to stay flexible. That life is pretty dynamic and things change. And some of us made decisions long time ago, maybe when we were 16, 17, 18, about what life was supposed to be and what it is that we were supposed to do. And we're pretty inflexible about that. And we find a lot of frustration because we know that we're not living in the center of what God created us for or who we're created to be, but we feel stuck. And if you want to have the kind of life that God envisions for you, part of what we have to do is to stay flexible, that things change. And so during our COVID quarantine time, I've had more conversations over the last four, or the last five months with people who are thinking about career changes because they're at home and they're doing their job and they have this time and their space to think about this idea it's like, I'm doing this for a living, but I don't know that this is what I want. And because we're not sitting in traffic and because we're not in the hustle and bustle of the workplace, some of us are arriving at different answers about what it is that we want and who it is that we are. And if you want to follow the prompting of God, you have to stay flexible to the prompting of God. And I think Richard Rohr put it best when he said, the best defense against the next move of God is the last move of God. And for some of us, it's just, it's just time to move. I think you also have to free yourself from judgment and fear. That if I do this, if I step out in this way, if I move ahead in this way, like there's going to be a lot of judgment and I'm afraid of that judgment. And I'm also afraid of what might happen, what's gonna happen to my income, what's gonna happen to my family. But when you exist in an environment that says I'm following God, these promptings that God has put into my heart about who I am, that I will ultimately find freedom and not judgment. And there will be some people on the other side of that who judge you, but there are people right now who judge you and you cannot live your life defined by people who judge you. The ultimate motivation behind judgment is to get you to stop being who God created you to be. And then last I think we have to deal with the fact that desires are not decisions. Every desire can be a teacher on your journey, but not every desire should be acted on. And knowing that allows our desires to exist without a sense of fear, that just because I feel it or I want it, I don't actually have to do it. And what might appear at first to be childish or dangerous or unrealistic might actually be, be clues to our path. And you might want to put together enough clues, enough evidence before you act. So when I was a kid, my dad was a school teacher. He eventually became a high school principal. And when you live in a teacher's house, there are certain things that you have to do. And in the summers, we could play all we wanted to in the mornings, but after lunch every day, my brother and I had to sit down and read. And so he'd take us to the library every week. We'd get a collection of books and come home and read. And I loved, I grew up reading those choose your own adventure books. If you remember those, you start off at the beginning and you read for a while, and then you get to make a decision And whatever decision you made, you just turn to that page and then the story would take up from there. And so after the first 20 or so pages, you get to make a decision. And I would always make the wrong decision. And I would be dead in the next five pages. But here's the great thing about that. You just go back to page 20 and make another decision. And I learned reading those books A central truth about life. That your story, my story, is not written for me. That we get to choose. And so when Jesus talks about his death, burial, and resurrection, you know what he doesn't say? He doesn't say, well, God's making me do this. He doesn't say, all, all of you people out here, you can't get your acts together. What does Jesus say? He says, no one takes my life from me. But I lay it down freely. At the heart of what it is to be a Jesus-following person is what Dallas Willard said to become the kind of person who freely chooses the right decision, but God is open and welcome. God has structured it. That you get to choose. You have a hand in your own destiny. And maybe the most basic and formative question for the next chapter of your life What do you want? And only you can know that. Church, let me pray for you. God, would you give us a sense of who you've created us to be? Promptings by your spirit and nudges that move us along in our journey to become the women and men who you have shaped and created us to be. And we know, God, that you have already written eternity on our hearts, that the prompting is within us. And so give us eyes to see what is already there so that we can follow Jesus in choosing to give our lives over to your sake and to your kingdom. And we ask in his name, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.
6: Ecclesia we now come to the table, a table that is open to all who desire to feast with Jesus as he is the host of this meal. This week, the Lord brought to my mind the notion that it is communion, one of our sacraments, that unites the diversity of believers around the world. I still remember when i was invited to serve communion many many years ago and the thing that i was impressed with the most was the diversity of the people who came forward to take the bread and the juice and the wine people who were old people who were young people who lived in tents people who lived in mansions people who were big and people who were small people of many different races, and ethnicities. And I hope that that helps you understand that you too are invited and welcome to this table of forgiveness and redemption as Jesus has made his body and his blood available to you. All of us have missed it at some point or another. We all have things to confess and yet we all get to experience the grace of the forgiveness of Jesus. Would you please join me now in this confession prayer? Lord, you have made us to be free, but we crave the cheap comforts of our chains. You have made us to serve others, but we have eyes only for ourselves. You have made us to love, but we are inflamed with lust. You provide that we may be generous, but we greedily hoard as if your well will run dry. You forgive time and again, but we hold fast to the sins of others. You offer light for our path, but we insist on making our own way. You are the God who saves. Lord, save us from ourselves. In your great mercy, restore and heal us and grant us your peace, amen. Ecclesia, the body of Christ broken for you, the blood of Christ shed for you. Taste and see.
1: Will your grace run out if I let you? Cause all I know is how to run I am a sinner, if it's not one thing it's another Caught up in words, tangled in lies are a Savior, and you take brokenness aside, and you make it beautiful, beautiful, and will you call me child when I tell you lies, cause all How to cry? Cause I am a sinner. If it's not one thing, it's another. Caught up in words, tangled in lies. You are a savior, and you take brokenness aside and you make it beautiful. And you make it beautiful, beautiful
7: comes the time in our gathering where we will say a blessing over our sweet children. But before we do that, I have a couple of announcements I would like to make. First off, we are super excited to announce that we are starting Sunday Children's Community Small Groups starting the first weekend in September. There will be one that meets at 9 a.m. and one that meets at 11 a.m. And in these small groups, the children will be able to stream the story of the week together, answer some discussion questions, check in with each other, participate in icebreakers, and really just have community with each other, with other kids their own age, especially. We are so excited about starting this, and you can register your children today at EcclesiaHouston.org, and there should be a button on the homepage that says Children's Community Groups. The second thing I would like to remind you of is our wonderful, awesome friend, Juliana Hale, who is a social worker that is working um, on our staff right now. She is ready and available to be there for you, to help you through any hard times that you and your family might be having. You can reach out to her at Hale at EcclesiaHouston.org. Now I would love to say a blessing over your children. Feel free to gather your children close or just think of any special children that are in your lives. God, I know that we are in a really hard time for the children. I wanna pray for each and every one of them as they are navigating through this time of change, possibly of confusion, fear of the unknown. God, I pray that you would instill in them joy, that you would instill in them hope, and that you would instill in them bravery as they face the new school year, making new friends, virtual learning, in-person learning, whatever they're doing, God, I pray that you would be with them, that they could feel your presence with them, God. And I pray that you would be with all of the parents and teachers as well as they are helping guide these children through these unprecedented times. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, I pray, amen.
8: The benediction is from poet Christian Wyman, entitled, Prayer. For all the pain passed down the genes or latent in the very grain of being. For the lordless mornings, the smear of spirit, words intuit and inter. For all the nightfall, neverness, inking into me even now. My prayer is that a mind blurred by anxiety or despair might find here a trace of peace. And so, Ecclesia, in all that appears clouded or obscured, in all that feels heavy, may the light and life of Christ and the spirit which fills and surrounds you lower your shoulders and lift your chest to receive the gift of this day and your blessed place in it. Go to love and serve in the name of the Savior God. Dwell in peace.